You're listening to the Kingdom Project Podcast. These are discussions on biblical theology and interpretation. The emphasis is on context and grace. The goal is to promote biblical literacy by displacing and debunking most modern interpretations. The challenge is to engage in healthy conversation that may stretch, but sharpen iron. This is The Kingdom Project, and I'm your host, Marcus Hall. Let's review, and we'll sort of review it as a whole this time. That chapters 1 through 3 is dis- discuss God's creation of the church by His gift of grace in the death and resurrection of Jesus, and that we, we've seen how we were chosen by God through the work of Christ and adopted as sons and daughters, and brought near to the Father through faith, right? Because we were dead in, in trespasses and sins. And now it's all people, Jews and Gentiles alike, that, have, that is brought in to this and can have this faith. All right? But, and now we have been made alive because of the person and the works of Jesus. And this foundation was built, we saw that, by the, the, the apostles and the prophets with Jesus as the cornerstone. And then we have seen many uh, connections, um, the thread work and everything that's been uh, laid out by Paul. And mysteries have been revealed. And from chapter 4 and on, Paul is encouraging growth and maturity in faith and in doctrine. And he's, uh, he's expected that this people would walk in accordance with its calling. He's laid out um, all these things here. So one through three was, was doctrinal types of things. You still get that in four, but it's more application. And it, 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 it's practices that should, should be in our relationships within the body, the home, and in the world, really. It's just how we live our lives. So we need to remember that even though we're starting this new chapter and going through uh, 1 through 9, it's still part of this section that we had started in, uh, from 21. Um, and it, it, it's also the results of 5.18 when it says be filled with the Spirit. All right, so this all connects, all right? So this is still part of that section of household codes. And these are the results of being filled with the Spirit. Okay, so Paul has been painting a picture of the Spirit-filled church and home by submission to one another out of uh, the, the reverence or fear of Christ. And between uh, the body, wives, husbands, and now with children, and parents, and then finally slaves and masters, which today we'll see uh, the application would be for employers and employees. Okay? So let's read this. Chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. 
Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the lands. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ. Doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Father, we thank you for your word. Amen. So verses 1 through 3. We see children, obedience, and the fifth commandment. Okay. Paul, Paul, uh, his, the first, first note, Paul is addressing children at Ephesus here, which is interesting because he's addressing them as Christians. Um, whether they are or not, we don't know. Um, and also, they would be reading this letter out. So we don't know if they had a separate place for children or if they was just reading it aloud to the whole congregation. So it, it doesn't mean that we can't have children out in a different place. It doesn't mean we should have them here all the time either. All right. So those are just distinctions I found going through this. Some people say that means the children should be there. That's fine. Okay. That's good. We have kids here. <laughs> it's okay. Like it's good to bring them up during service. Most of you, if you went to church when you were kids, probably didn't have anything else to go to, didn't have children's church. All right. But this would have been read out to them and it would have been read to them because he's, he's treating them as they are already saved. All right. So uh, we have to remember the normative household code code uh, never addressed the wives, never addressed the children and never addressed the slaves. All right. Paul is switching it up here. He's doing something rather dramatic. So Paul says, children, he says, obey. OK, this this is has an emphasis of listening uh, in the Greek. That's really what it is. Listening here. And in, in the Lord, he mentions in the Lord, Paul means it is your duty in the Lord to obey your parents. <laughs> Ezra and I went over this last night in the office, didn't we? Yes, we did. And <laughs> uh, to please the Lord is to obey your parents. Right? We, we see all this. You see all this connection here, right? Um, wives submitting to the husbands, husbands loving their wives as Christ has loved their church. Now, now, children, obey your parents. All these things, these are things that are pleasing to the Lord, okay? These are good works, really, is what it is, okay? Now, many Jewish teachers, they considered the uh, biblical injunction to honor parents the greatest commandment that there was. They also felt that this meant not shaming them by one's behavior, so here Paul adds this parenthesis 
that this is the first commandment with a promise. And Paul is reinforcing this ideal with a reference that goes back to Deuteronomy where God promises to bless an obedient child. Okay, so that's the connection that's going on here. So the, the Ten Commandments, we'll talk about that for a moment. They, they can be divided into two sections, all right? Not two tablets <laughs> like we see in the pictures uh, <laughs> with, you know, what... <laughs> One through five over here, six through ten over here. It wasn't like that. Uh, probably would have all been on one tablet on both sides, and there was two copies: uh, one for for Moses and, and all the people, and the other for God to put in the covenant, uh, Ark of the Covenant. All right. So, but you can divide it here. Each section reinforces the first two commandments, which are the greatest commandments. All right. The first four spell out what it means to love God. The last six spell out how to love our neighbors or uh, as we love ourselves. So the commandment to honor our parents then is foundational to all the commandments. If we truly honor our parents, we will not disgrace their name by becoming a murderer or a thief. Things like that. And, th- and this commandment also works backwards to the first four commandments because the word honor is often used uh, of the honor that we have for and toward our creator and our father God. All right. So if one is rebellious and disrespectful towards their parents who has given them life and provision, then most likely we can probably guess that they're, they're going to be rebellious and disrespectful towards God. And then disrespect towards parents and God, either or or both, will most likely then result in, in being disrespectful to all others around that person, right? Including authority. So we see this stuff. Kids rebelling, um, problems in schools, right? And then it just continues as they grow. Um, Because this is normally the result of what happens. Now, we now, though, are under the law of love, right? I I want to emphasize that. Jesus has created a new uh, covenant. He gave us a new commandment. Um, in the past, I used to say you could just throw all the other stuff out. It's important to know the other things. Don't throw them out. <laughs> I don't want to be like Andy Stanley and say, I don't think you guys even know. You guys won't get that joke. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, uh, the law of love encompasses, though, all of these commandments, right? Uh, love as Jesus has loved us. This aligns with all this. If we love the way Jesus has loved us and does love us, this falls in line, right? So in the household codes that Paul is laying out here in this letter, then Christ is the center because it's love is the center. It's the centrality of all of this message that that he leads us into spirit filled lives that work in the church, in our marriages, in parenthood. In being a child, being raised up in a Christian home, and also in the workplace, which we're going to see. Okay, 
So the, the command is simple, that children are to obey their parents. Uh, it, not, it doesn't only mean that children have the responsibility to listen slash obey, but parents have the responsibility to teach their children how to listen and how to obey. We teach them obedience. We don't have to teach them to disobey, <laughs> do we? No. <laughs> They're born to do that. <laughs> go, go to a pizza plate. Go to Chuck E. Cheese on a Saturday afternoon. You'll see plenty of disobedience going on probably. <laughs> right? It's born. I said Chuck E. Cheese. I did. <laughs> but one of the essential reasons to, che- to teach a child obedience is so the child will grow up Knowing how to obey God and his word. Even when they're not completely sure of what it means. They don't understand everything. Or even if they don't want to understand everything. There's something that's going to be taught there. That they're going to be more prone to go to the word. Go to the Lord and be obedient to his word. So within the context of this letter. It seems that children must be filled with the Spirit in order to rightly obey and honor their parents as well. Because these are the results of being filled with the Spirit. So I would say where we started, that these are Christian children. They are saved. So um, obviously we can't coerce or scare our children into making a decision, nor should we try to tell them they need to make a decision uh, to follow the Lord. We set an example as godly parents by wives submitting and fathers or husbands being fathers, you know, loving the wife sacrificially. And they see this in the home, which will result, I believe, hopefully, that them being saved and reconciled to God. So I. I will add that what it means to honor our parents may change as we grow into adults, but the principle still endures, right? We may not owe the same type of obedience to our parents. (laughs) They can tell us something and we may listen, but then we may say, nah, that's all right because I'm older now. But we do owe them honor and respect as long as they're alive. Um, it still applies if your parents are still alive. So that's why I spend a little bit of time here. A lot of people say, oh, children, okay, we're older, you know, whatever. Like, well, you were, you, some still have parents. Uh, we have parents that are alive. We should obey them. We should honor them. We need to listen to them. They have much wisdom. Um, I'm one of the fewer people that are younger. Like my age, I'm 39. But I love talking to older people, and they, they have a lot to say. Um, you know, it's just great to sit down and talk with, with you guys, because you're so old and full of wisdom. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> just feels festive in here today, so I'm, I'm just having fun. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I just... I do love sitting down and hearing things that people have to say and they, they, they make these, these uh, comments about 
culture and society and stuff and, and stuff. And I love to, to just listen to them and then ask them questions, though, too, about how they see things and how they relate. And, and, and talking to older Christians, we can learn a lot from, from that. So it, it's good to, to sit and listen and, and to learn because there's wisdom to be had there, I believe. All right. So now um, when we look in, in verse one, he says, Obey your parents, right? But in verse 4, he speaks directly to fathers. All right, so we have to ask, can can this command apply to mothers as well? And yes, there's so many situations and circumstances in which there are children without fathers and mothers are playing both roles and they're going to have to do some of this stuff. All right, but... Paul here is directly speaking to fathers as the, the, the head of the household. And he, he, he addresses fathers to emphasize that they must not be passive in the raising of their children. Okay, In other words, there's more to it than just bringing home the paycheck, rather. you know, um, There's parenting to be done by the father as well, not just the mother's. As the head of the home, the father's responsibility is for nurturing, it's for training and building up and teaching the children the things of God. Now, you have to understand that this is the first century. Fathers at this time, they had absolute authority over their families. When a child was born into a Roman family, the child was brought out and laid before the father. If he picked the baby up, it meant he was accepting the child into the home, into his name, family bloodline. If he didn't pick up the baby, it meant the child was rejected. The baby could be sold. The baby could be given away, could be left to die by exposure. And the father actually even legally could just kill the baby in that instant. Yeah, I know. It's <laughs> this is the Roman Empire here. Uh, so you can see here how radical really all of this is that Paul's laying out here. M- men, men could have one wife uh, that they kept for actually rearing children. That way, um, if he chose that child, you know, it would be his son. It was going to be the heir, the, you know, the legacy, the heritage. Um, a, lot of, a lot of men at this time that hadn't converted here uh, to Christianity, they had the one wife for that, but they had prostitutes for the weekdays, um, for daily needs, it said. And then they would also sometimes have... Um, other women, concubines and whatnot, that were just sort of stashed, you know, here and there, wherever, to take care of whatever and the other needs they had as well. So this stuff is crazy, right? This culture is crazy back then. Um, and and, and it, men were, were highly exalted the more that they had in, in that realm, in that sense, okay? Um, and and they, could, they could do all sorts of things to their wives and their children, all right? So, 
by put, laying these things out to men as husbands and as fathers, this is, this is radical to them. And, and also including wives, also including children. Okay? And it gets more crazy because he starts to address slaves and, and their masters. All right? But Paul, Paul starts by showing a father that this hard, harsh treatment of a child is wrong. All right? that, that, that men born again... Placed in Christ, spirit-filled fathers are not to provoke their children to anger. It means we're not to irritate or frustrate them. <laughs> you do that to me all the time. <laughs> I'm joking again. I'm playing. We're not to do that, especially if it's on purpose. We're not to do that. Instead, we're to encourage them. Parents have the opportunity to provoke children through unkind words and actions, overcritical attitudes, all those types of things. We could just list it. We're not. You should know them. All right. These types of things can torment a child instead of training them. And this is what Paul is speaking against because it gives an unnecessary justification to a child's natural rebellion. All right. So in order not to provoke our children to anger, we must have our own anger under control as well. This is double sided here, which a lot is. Instead, fathers are to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. All right. Bring them up. This phrase, it means to nourish. It means to nurture. It means to provide nourishing spiritual food for your children. And discipline here just comes from the word meaning training. Okay? It has the ideal of training correctively, and that's what it is. It's not like discipline, like beat your kid type of thing. Now, there's different ways of everyone does that. I'm not going to tell you how to parent, but it's in it's training correctively here. And then instruction is literally admonition uh, and significantly uh, significantly both training and admonition are used to describe the purposes of the word of God right of scripture in 2 Timothy 3 16 1 Corinthians 10 11 that's what is used so parents are to raise their children on the word of God Paul's command to the father implies that he will lovingly Exhort, encourage, and correct his children with God's word as the standard. So as our Father God relates to us as his children, we must relate to our children in that way. Because we have been called in five, at 5 1 uh, to be imitators of God, our Father, as beloved children. So his goal for us, his children, is to. Is to conform us to the image of Christ, right? So our overall goal is that our children may be growing in love for God and for others as they grow in a joyous submission to the Lordship of Christ. And that's, that's the point in this section. So before we get to the next, this, this slaves and masters... I'll give you a brief intro to bond servants, which are slaves, 
within this context. Okay? Uh, this is the last section of the household codes. And Paul shows how Christian uh, workers and bosses should treat each other. And granted, it's addressed to slaves and masters, all right, not employees and employers, but that's the application today. The Roman institution of, of being a, a bond servant or slave, it, it's said to have been different than the institution of slavery that we had here in the United States, okay? It's because slaves generally were permitted to work for pay, and then they could save their money, and they could save up enough to buy their freedom. Um, <clears throat> so we should know that it's not here in this context, but the New Testament does assume that trafficking human, humans and slavery is wrong and is a sin. You could find that um, in other writings by Paul. First Timothy 1.10, it says, enslavers when he's mentioning a, a, a big long list of things that are, are wrong and sinful. So Paul, Paul urges those who can gain freedom to do so as well in 1 Corinthians 7.21. All right. So if you were able to save up enough money and buy your freedom, you were called a freed man, previously a bond servant. But usually what happened is they would continue to work for their former master. Sometimes they would even uh, adopt the family name of their master to continue to honor them. All right, so, but I want to point out that doesn't mean that there was not physical or sexual abuse because there was, and it was rampant. And it's been estimated that between one third to a half of the population were slaves in the Roman world at that time. So some critics do attack Paul here for not outright condemning slavery in this text. Now, I've already mentioned he does other places. But Rome had already repressed three earlier massive uh, slave revolts, okay? And they all ended in bloodbaths and there was no freedom had. If Paul had tried to do so, it would have led to an armed revolt and possibly the Christian faith would have been threatened, uh, it could have been wiped out um, and as an anti-slavery movement instead of the word of, uh, of, of God, of a movement of Jesus, okay? So it, instead, though, inspired by the Holy Spirit, Paul does something else here. He addresses both the bondservant and the masters directly, and he shows how their faith should radically change the way that they relate to one another. So... Although it is written to them, as I have said, it applies directly today to employees and employers, okay? And it shows, again, that those who are filled with the Holy Spirit, who submit themselves to one another out of reverence for Jesus, should relate to one another in the workplace. Paul drives his main point in a repetition here, um, pointing, pointing to the centrality of, of our relationship to Christ, all right? We've said Jesus is the core here, right? So it's love. So he has these phrases, as you would to Christ, bond servants of Christ, doing the good will of God from the heart. And then he says, as to the Lord, not to a man, receive back from the Lord. And then that their master and yours are in heaven. So as Christians, our 
relationship with Jesus as Lord is the primary governing fact of life. All right. This is the whole point of the sections uh, as a whole. The, the words in verse five, as you would to Christ. Right. This, this should change our perspective as workers. It should remind us that our work can and should be done as if we're working for Jesus because we are right. This is this whole section is good works. I said that earlier. These are good works. And then he says, not by what, uh, way of eye service. We're not to just work only when the boss is looking. Otherwise, <laughs> this is what he's saying. Or to just please man. But work with good will. Work with a good attitude. Not complaining. As to the Lord. Again, once again, we have this phrase. Should mean that all our work is really done unto the Lord. In the Greek culture, manual work was despised. I think it still is here. <laughs> but being successful meant getting to the point where you never had to do any more work ever again. It doesn't really seem to be how it works in the God's kingdom, though, because here we're seeing that hard work. And manual labor are actually honorable things. And and Paul relates working hard for the Lord. uh, That to God returning to us in the measure that we have worked hard for others. That God will not allow our work to go without reward. And there in, in verse nine, Paul then he ends addressing the masters or today the employer. And he says, do the same to them masters, right? They had the power of life and death over bond servants. So, so Paul's words, again, this was shocking, right? This was a shocking statement when the laws and the culture were completely towards the master's And to them alone, uh, to the point to where it even favored brutality and death for slaves. All right. But in other words, masters or employers, they should treat their bond servants or employees as they would want to be treated. That's fair, reasonable and understanding and not playing favorites since his master in heaven shows no partiality. So the gospel leaves us with its message here of equal obligation in Jesus. The gospel makes us equal, right? Our relationship with Christ and the fact that we should be living primarily for the kingdom, that should transform our churches, the way we operate as the body, It should transform our our marriages, our parenthood, our being children and our relationships and performances at work. So it pretty much covers the course of one's life here. Right. So our lives then should point to God. It should point to Jesus. Our lives should point to our Lord and Savior knowing that our reward is in Christ and through Christ and throughout eternity.